Welcome to Supernatural Podcast episode number 60 for the episode Metamorphosis. The episode was written by Katherine Humphreys and directed by Kim Manners and originally aired in the U.S. on October 9, 2008. Summary for Season 4, Episode 4, Metamorphosis. The episode begins with Sam and Ruby interrogating a demon. The demon wonders why he should listen to Sam. Just because he's Sam Winchester, Mr. Big Hero, then he accuses Sam of slutting around with Ruby. He says, Tell me about those months without your brother, about all the things you and this demon bitch do in the dark. The scene ends as we see Dean hidden, looking on. Sam checks the pulse of the guy he just exercised. The man is alive, and Sam's happy he's helped someone. Ruby asks Sam how he feels, and he says he's feeling good. He doesn't have any more headaches. Dean walks out from the shadows, and Sam looks guilty. Dean says, So you think you were going to tell me, Sam? Dean figures out the demon next to Sam is Ruby, and goes at her with a knife. Sam wrestles Dean away, and Dean throws Sam against the wall. Then Ruby interferes and pins Dean in a chokehold. Sam tells her to stop and take the man who has been possessed to safety. Dean gives Sam one last look and walks off alone. In the hotel, apparently the night has passed and Dean hasn't come back. Dean bursts in the door and immediately starts grabbing his clothes. Sam asks what he's doing, and Dean says Sam no longer needs him, that Sam and Ruby can go off and fight demons together. Sam tries to grab Dean and tells him to hold on, but Dean swings around and punches Sam in the face. Dean is very worried for Sam. He says, Do you know how far off the reservation you've gone? How far from normal, from human? Sam asserts that he's just exercising demons, and he can send them back to hell. Dean asks what else he can do, but when Sam says nothing, he doesn't really have reason to believe him. Dean says it's a slippery slope, and it's going to get darker and darker, and God knows where it ends. Sam says he's not going to let it go too far, but Dean says if he didn't know Sam, he would want to hunt him. Dean tells Sam that an angel told him to stop him. God doesn't want Sam to do this. Sam gets a call from a hunter friend, Travis. Amidst all this family drama, they've got a new case to work on. In Carthage, Missouri, we open on a man and his wife eating dinner. This man seems to be unusually hungry, eating everything in sight. After dinner, he's in the bathroom brushing his teeth, and his bones crack and move. He grunts in agony, but when it stops, he gets up and seems fine, as if, if not a little worried. Sam and Dean are in the Impala. Dean has apparently told Sam about his journey to the past and that their mother was a hunter. Dean says their parents were awesome, funny, and smart, until, of course, the Winchester tragedy. Sam wonders why their whole family was murdered just so Yellow Eyes could get in his nursery and bleed in his mouth. Dean notices that he never said anything about demon blood. Sam says he's known about it for approximately a year, and he should have told Dean. Dean is hurt that Sam is keeping secrets from him. Sam and Dean are staking out Jack Montgomery's house. The man we saw earlier can't wait the 25 minutes until dinner, so he begins to look at the refrigerator and eat any meat within sight. He devours the leftover chicken and then goes to the raw meat. Sam says, I say that qualifies as something weird. Sam and Dean meet up with Travis in their hotel room. Travis says John would have been proud that they stuck together. Dean says, oh yeah, nothing more important than family. 
and Sam looks a touch guilty. Travis reveals that they're hunting a Rougarou. Dean says that sounds made up. Travis says they start out human, but go through a metamorphosis. They'll eat anything, but soon they hunger for long pig, human flesh. Once a Rougarou takes a bite of human flesh, they turn fast and become a monster forever. Jack inherited the Rougarou gene from his biological father. After Travis killed his Rougarou father, he found out that his mother was pregnant and had to put him up for adoption. Back at Jack's house, he's waiting for dinner again. His wife cuts her finger and he is immediately affected by it. He knows he has to get it out of there or he'll, just, or he'll do something stupid. Travis and Dean prepare blowtorches for killing the Rougarou. Sam comes in and presents research that Jack might not give in to his Rougarou tendencies if warned. If he never eats human flesh, he won't turn. Travis thinks Sam's insulting him, that his 30 years of experience isn't enough. Travis says the fact is that every Rougarou that he ever saw or heard of took that bite. Sam seems to see a little bit of himself in this creature. He says, we're not going to kill him unless he does something to keep killed for. Jack comes back to his house and confronts his wife. He says he's sorry that he had to leave when she cut her finger, that he just couldn't handle it. She wonders, since when is he bothered by blood? They begin to make out, and he begins hurting her. He says he's sorry. He doesn't know what's wrong with him, and he runs off again. Sam and Dean are going to have a talk with Jack. Dean wonders if Sam's emotions are getting in the way. He says, nice dude, but he's got something evil inside of him, something in his blood. Maybe you can relate. Sam tells Dean to stop the car. He says, the way you talk to me, the way you look at me, like I'm a freak, or even worse, like I'm an idiot, like I don't know the difference between right and wrong. Sam says he's just trying to take this curse and make something good out of it, because he has to. The boys show up at Jack's house. Sam says they need to talk to him about how he's changing. Dean lists off Jack's symptoms, saying he's a Rougarou. <laughs> Dean says he's only going to get hungrier, lusting after some man-burger helper. Sam says he feeds once and it's all over, and then they'll have to stop him. Jack is sitting on a park bench at night and sees a woman undressing in her apartment window. He lusts after her flesh. He goes up the fire escape and crouches next to her window. The boys were tailing him, so they grab their blowtorches and enter the building, ready to save the girl. Jack's irises are rimmed in red, and he catches a reflection of himself in the window. He consciously decides to stop. But the boys still break through the door, ready to save the day. The girl screams and says she's calling the police. Dean says, wait, we're here to save you, I guess. Jack shows up back at the house, determined to change his life. He finds his wife, Michelle, bound and tied to a chair. Travis comes at him from behind with chloroform. Jack wakes up, handcuffed to a pillar in his house. Travis says he will eventually hurt someone, and that he's doing Jack a favor. Michelle says not to hurt her because she's pregnant. Travis says he can't make this mistake all over again. It's got to end now. Jack uses his Rougarou strength to break through the cuffs and goes after Travis. He bites into Travis's neck. Now that he's tasted human flesh, he can't stop. Michelle is scared to death and runs off after he unties her. Sam and Dean show up at Jack's house and find Travis's car. 
they see a deep red blood stain on the carpet and assume that's what's left of Travis. Sam says he guesses Dean was right about Jack. Jack comes at Dean from behind and knocks him out. He throws Sam into a closet and locks it. Sam tries to talk Jack down. Sam takes a coat hanger from the closet and starts to pick the lock. He says they never would have hurt his wife and they definitely didn't know what Travis was planning to do. Jack is desperate. He can't ever see his family again. Sam says he knows he has a dark pit inside of him, but that doesn't mean he has to fall into it. He says, it doesn't matter what you are, it matters what you do. It's your choice. Sam bursts through the door and sets Jack on fire. Sam and Dean are in the Impala again. Dean says he wants to tell Sam he's sorry, that he's been kind of hard of him lately. He says, your psychic thing, it scares the crap out of me. Sam says he can't keep explaining himself to Dean, that the demon blood is just something he's got to deal with. Sam agrees that he's playing with fire, and he's done with everything. Dean is relieved and thanks Sam. Sam says, don't thank me. I'm not doing it for you, or the angels, or for anybody. This is my choice. This is Kristen. And Alyssa. Thanks for listening. Let's move on to analysis and theories in my discussion with Josh. Hi, this is Ellen. This is Josh. We've been getting a lot of listener feedback by email on the website, and so we thought we'd share a couple of the messages. And we're going back a couple episodes here. This is regarding Lazarus Rising from an anonymous listener. Hi, listening to the podcast right now. Just thought I'd say some of you are upset about the busty Asian beauties to rest, hopefully, that essentially serve the same purpose as the confrontations with Bobby establishing that he is still essentially Dean and not something else or going to be acting oddly right away. I have to hand it to them for getting all that out of the way so quickly and not too awkwardly. Apparently, we're going to get the effects and repercussions along with the gradual reveal of what happened during that missing time in hell. Oh, and I wasn't thrilled at first that Dean was coming back first thing, but before the gas station scene was over, I realized they were brilliant because at the same time I was riveted to what was going on with Dean I was dying to know what was going on with Sam everyone is and everyone was at the end of last season and we expected we'd find out rather than being disappointing getting Dean back right away while not getting any answers the whole angel thing only made the situation more puzzling not less heightened the tension and set up to crave more information about Sam that's just an example of the way I looked at things. I wholeheartedly agree with the Ruby thoughts and your reminder to trust Kripke. Great job as always. Okay, so what do you think about this? I agree. I still don't really like the busty Asian beauty part, but I think the listener is totally right on about the gas station. I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what the point was. and I guess it makes more sense rather than trying to make that kind of joke. It makes more sense to view it in the light, like the listener mentioned, that it's a way of quickly establishing who Dean is and what his attitude still is at this point. Yeah, I just thought they could have done something a little bit different. I mean, I get it. I do. And I'm glad that we got this comment because um, we both really didn't like that part. And so it was kind of nice to see another perspective. Yeah, definitely nice to look at it as a way other than a cheap joke. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So the second one we have is regarding Are You There? And this is from another anonymous listener who said, the episode title is also referenced to the Venture Brothers episode entitled Are You There, God, It's Me, Dean. 
the Venture Brothers actually have another relation to Supernatural because Ben Edlund, Supernatural producer and writer, is friends with the Venture Brothers creators and actually wrote on one episode. Well, I'd never even heard of that before. So I think that's pretty cool. That is a cool fact. All right. So then we got an email from Jen who said, I do have one little correction for you, though. Ronald Resnick is not the guy from Lost. It's Chris Gauthier, probably best known for his role as Vincent in Sci-Fi's Eureka, another great show if you've never caught it. And then she mentions that she agrees with the direction of the show, that it's taking a biblical term. It does seem odd that they're going here after three years of dismissing it. But I just had a thought. Supernatural likes to explore myths and legends, and I'm sure I'll get some flack for this. But I just had a thought. Supernatural likes to explore myths and legends, and I'm sure I'll get some flack for this. But what bigger myth surrounds us today than the Christian creation story? I guess it is a natural progression for the show, but I too am hesitant to see where it will go. And then she also has one more thing. She says, thank you for confirming the Constantine nod. When he first appeared, I looked at my hubby and said, what the crap, Constantine? (laughs) Glad I was right on. So thanks for the comments. Um, I spoke off the cuff. I didn't actually look it up when I was talking about Ronald Resnick. Um, I had remembered him from the guy from Lost, but since I don't watch Lost, I didn't do my homework there. Uh, Oops. But thank you for the correction. Yes, thank you, Jen. And thank you for signing your name. It's always appreciated. Yes, that is great. It's nice to know who our listeners are. Just they're not anonymous people, although that does <laughs> right. a veil of mystery around it. So we've been getting a ton of emails, and just this is just a sample of them because they were kind of not critical feedback, but gave us a little bit of insight into what other people thought. Yeah, we love to hear other people's opinions on the show's developments. We often agree with each other. Not always, but most of the time we do. But it's nice to hear from other people. So, shall we talk about metamorphosis? Let's do it. So, overall, what did you think? Um, I thought this show, although it wasn't really as exciting as the last couple we've seen, and, um, I, you know, the season's been really strong, so that's setting a higher bar. But I did enjoy this episode. I enjoyed that it kept me enthralled in thinking, and that it had a lot of tragedy and was heartbreaking and intense. Yeah, I agree. I think it seemed a little deflated, was the word that kept popping in mind. But it's essentially a standalone, and it's different from the other ones we've seen so far this this season. And I really liked it. I think it was nice to see the return of the Monster of the Week. Had a little twist with the parallel with the Rougarou and Sam, which I'm sure we'll get to in a moment. But it was mythology. It was something different. It was kind of a first season flashback, including, if you didn't notice, the original Kaz license plate was back. I did not notice that. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool that they were actually switched. So it was either an oops by the props department or <laughs> they just decided since they're dead and, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. I think that it was probably my least favorite of the season so far, even though I normally love the standalones. But I thought it was very enjoyable. And I think the fans have kind of said the same thing. I agree. It it was my least favorite, but I think it was a good episode, well done, and it did manage to be a standalone while tying in tightly to the season story arc. Oh, definitely. But it didn't seem too disconnected. It was completely streamlined. Right. I'm glad that Dean and Sam finally had their confrontations about Sam using his powers. Definitely. I mean, I was really shocked that Dean actually punched Sam. Sam. Punched Sam, but I'm glad they got it out in the open. 
I know, but you know, I actually really liked the punching thing because <laughs> Dean has been so bottled up for a long time that it just came out. <laughs> and it seemed really natural in a way, except for perhaps the sound effects. <laughs> I know, it's like he took his head off with that punch. It was like Batman and Robin kind of thing going on. Black. It was good. I agree. I mean, and he's got to feel really betrayed. He made Sam acted like, oh, that was your dying wish and everything. And yet he went ahead and did it anyway and lied to him about it. Well, Dean is just hurt. I mean, Sam yeah. lied to him. But I think under all of that, Dean feels that Sam might not need him. That while he was gone, Sam was able to survive on his own. And that that is what really hurts him. Oh, I'm sure that's tough to deal with for him. And, and right now, it seems like they're they're definitely on different roads that might lead them in different directions. At least at the beginning of this episode, it felt that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that it was the lies and the hiding that would really be what tears the relationship apart. So I was really glad to see them get it out in the open, you know. And, and we can't help but see both sides during this conversation. But we have the advantage of knowing what the angel told Dean, so we can't help but take his side a little bit more. At least I couldn't. Yeah, I agree. I I think Sam really doesn't know what's going on and what he thinks he's doing good. Right. He doesn't, he can't see all of the different perspectives. Yeah. And I thought that the way they did make you feel for both of them meant, you know, said a lot about the writing and also about how well acted the scenes were. That's true. Okay. So Ruby. And so Dean finally finds out about her. Crazy Ruby. I I really like that that demon called Sam out about working with her because knowing that she's an innocent girl's body makes what Sam doing feel so hypocritical. That is so true. And I don't like this Ruby. I obviously she's so different from Katie and they, she's not keeping, it doesn't seem real that it's the same demon. Right. It just seems really funky, but I don't know. That scene with her there just seemed a little off. The, the confrontation between the boys was perfect. But then when Ruby started getting in, in on the conversation, it took kind of a weird turn. Like it seemed not quite right. I agree. And I think it has a lot to do with what you're saying about the actress and how she doesn't feel like Ruby. And she seemed a little demure for Ruby. I mean, she just, it was almost too flat. Like here's this confrontation. The boys are all hyped up on their testosterone fighting each other. And then she's like, I need to take him to the ER. Or do you want to have another round? <laughs> right. It's like, what? None of the fire of the old Ruby. Yeah, that's right. So I think it just kind of changed it. And I know that's probably in our don't like section, if we think about that. But at the same time, it was the rest of the scene was so well done that it was, it was great. But yeah, it seemed a little different. Right. And, and related to that, all that the came out in that scene and the honesty that in the whole episode was appreciated. Yes. Would Dean tell Sam about his trip to the past and what the angel said? I mean, how many shows on television do you watch where the characters are actually telling each other what's going on? This kind of show you need that, but we don't get it very often. Right. And it was, it was really good to see their honesty, the conversation in the car, you know, not when they're fighting each other, but when they're just talking and being brothers. Right, exactly. And, and you don't tell your family everything, but you tell them mm-hmm. a lot. And it's just a lot more realistic that they would share that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, I think Dean is taking the truth pretty well, all things considered. <laughs> right. I mean, sure, he punched his brother. But, you know, he, he finds out that Ruby's back, that Sam is using his powers, that, you know, Sam is known for a year about the demon blood. 
you know, I give Dean some credit holding it together. I think, yeah, it's it's disappointing to him, but he had to have a little bit of suspicion about it. He did from the beginning because he was wondering how he came back. So that that all true. along, he probably suspected Sam was up to something. Yeah, but all of this to come out all at once, both brothers <laughs> took it all pretty well, I think. That's true. It had to be hard for Sam to hear about Dean going back and experiencing what life was like back when his mother and father were young. Yeah, and for Dean to be able to see all that and he couldn't, I mean, that can't be fun. No. You're like, you got to meet our family and, and our grandparents and have this all of this knowledge and I just get to hear about it. It seemed kind of the start of the rest of the episode with Emo Sam. <laughs> Emo Sam, that's true. Emo Sam is back. So we meet another Winchester friend. We do. Travis. And of course, as is tradition with any friend except Bobby, he gets whacked. What's up with that? Sad for him. It is. And I don't know. Travis, I didn't really like as a character, but I think it was necessary to have him there because he is so much like Dean. When they were, when Travis and, and Dean are so alike in that when they're both hunting they're, and they're convinced something is the way it is, that's the way it's going to be. They have very strong convictions. And I don't know, it was just kind of nice to see that there's another person that kind of acts like Dean and John. You know, they both, they all have that personality. That's true. I didn't think about that, but he serves as a nice example of what Dean could end up like if he doesn't learn to be more, not accepting, but to look at all the facts before charging in and killing. Yep. And that's exactly how he used to be entirely until Sam came back. Right. And emo Sam helped him (laughs) to look at other points of view. That is so true. Uh, One of the other things that I liked was that the monster of the week was not just purely evil. We've had ambiguity with like demons before, but usually the 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 standalones with the baddie it's some evil demon or evil creature they have to destroy. So this was kind of a first, you know. He's really scary and creepy and super gross, but still human underneath. That's true, and I like how they set him up where they, you know, he was innocent at the beginning. He hadn't actually killed anyone. And the parallel to Sam was blatantly obvious in here. I'm surprised Dean didn't actually see it earlier or call him out on it earlier. Yeah, I I agree. I think that that was one of the strong points of the show was that Mm -hmm. the parallel between the monster and Sam were really obvious, but it wasn't overdone. And it was like a Monster Week story that kind of definitely reflected the changes going on in their own lives. That's true. And it even shows because Sam used their real names when talking to Jack. Like, they weren't pretending. Everything was just honest in this episode. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even make that connection. Thought that, I mean, it was kind of cool. They always use alias. But here they just said, no, we know what we're talking about. We want to help you. That's really good. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why it this episode worked as a parallel so well is that they were so open and honest about everything. And they actually had a conversation about what was going on. And not just working independently or even towards the same goal, but having different perceptions. Like it all came out. Sam was saying, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. And I don't, I don't agree with you. And we need to do this and that. And then Dean was like, no, this is the way it is. And then Travis was like, no, you have to just go in, kill him and don't look back. And so, I mean, they were all very much voicing their opinions rather than working against each other. That's true. They, they oftentimes take their own paths and then meet up at the end. Yep. 
but they were together on this one. And you can't help but be frightened by the monster guy, but because of Sam's determination and, and the obvious connection there, you can't help but root for the guy in his fight for humanity. Yeah, and then you see him at the hotel, and he's outside the window, and the girl, he sees her, and he's fighting his urge. And of course, then the boys run in and have this great comic moment. Um, Dean's comic timing is impeccable. Um, or Jensen's, you know, we're here to save you, I guess. But <laughs> the fact that Jack didn't go in and didn't kill her, I mean, it showed perhaps that he could fight it. You know, like Dean was saying how he might be an alcoholic in a sea of whiskey. Right. Well, maybe he could be. And Sam really wanted him to be able to do that. And it was that moment, too, where he you look. You made the decision, and he made the decision that, yes, he's going to fight this and be a better person. Yeah, that was a great scene. <laughs> That's what made what happened to him at the end just all the more tragic. Exactly. You know, and Sam didn't want to give up. He wanted to believe the best. He wanted him to Jack to you know, succeed because he wanted to prove to himself that he could do it. But Sam is a much stronger person than Jack, and he has a lot more knowledge. So I don't think it was really fair for Sam to put himself entirely in Jack's place. Because they're very different people. However. However, it's good for him to learn not to play with fire. Exactly. Was that a pun? (laughs) Right. Well, he can play with it as long as he's killing evil monsters. Metaphorically, he can't play with fire. So I think the metamorphosis was definitely twofold. You know, the title. One was Jack's metamorphosis literally into a monster. And then Sam's metaphorically metamorphosis. It could also apply to how their relationship is changing as well. It, it's, I, I just thought overall it was well done. So it, I think you're right about the metamorphosis, all the different. I mean, there really are so many different ways of looking at that. But you know what my favorite part of the episode was? What's that? The gore. Two thumbs up. <laughs> There was a lot of gore. It was awesome. We knew you'd appreciate that. <laughs> the only There was only one part of the gore I didn't like, and that is squarely on my do not list, so we'll get to that. But yeah, it was great. It was finally, I mean, it is a horror show. We just don't get a lot of it because people who watch the show aren't necessarily horror fans. But it was so nice to see it. It's kind of, it is kind of nice to get a reminder of the show's roots and the, some of the creepy grossness that can go with it. And especially with this type of creature, like there's no way that you could not portray him as some sort of gruesomeness. Right, that's true, considering what he likes to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, was he just going to like take a little knife and scrape off a piece of meat and, or, you know, what do they call it, long pig, and munch on it? <laughs> <laughs> Put it on crackers. <laughs> Get the utensils out. Have a nice garnish. Well, I mean, Jensen had about a million wonderful lines in this episode. You know, the the one, I've seen big weird, little weird, and weird with crazy on top. And he just had a lot of good wine, one-liners. It's been a while since he had those. He definitely did. And the one where he, he gets all the fun lines. He does. Poor Sam. Sam gets all the fun eye rolls, though. Following up Jensen's line about, you know, we're here to save you, I guess. And then Sam just kind of goes, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it was just great. We should go. But Sam had all of the philosophy in this episode. 
I guess, you know, where he was trying to come to terms with what was going on with Jack. And he was telling him, it doesn't matter what you are, only what you do. That was, that caught me. I remembered that one. It it stuck with me because that's exactly what Sam, like his whole demon, half demon thing. That's what's all summed up. It doesn't matter what's inside of you. It matters what you do with it. Yeah, and it's a really good good point to see the show from between monsters and heroes and villains yeah. and hunters. It's it's what people do because we've seen hunters that are evil and we've seen vampires that aren't. Exactly. Yeah, it could be the show's tagline. Right. And I think it was also really good that Sam was the one to kill Jack when he knew there was nothing else they could do. He had to be the one to do it. Otherwise, nothing would have resolved for him. But also played really big well into the the tragedy of the situation. It was a horrible situation. He's going to try to do better. He has a wife mm-hmm. that he cares about. He's fighting to save. He ends up in an act of desperation, becoming the monster he didn't want to be, and then has to be killed by the guy who's been fighting for him from the beginning. Exactly. Great big Greek tragedy all wrapped up. <laughs> exactly. But it was wrapped up really well. So I think the last thing that was on my do not, or that I, my like list was Dean apologizing saying that he, you know, it was scaring him what was going on with Sam and that he was sorry for being so hard on him. And all I could think about was this is what Dean wished John had said to him. Oh, I didn't make that connection. That's a good point. As much as Dean is like John in a lot of ways when it comes to hunting, he doesn't want to be that way, especially with Sam. Sorry for being so hard on him. It was just, it was really nice. That's true. That's a good point. I think about that. We can't help it. You know, become part of our parents as we grow up. Mm-hmm. But Dean taking a step to not completely follow follow in his father's footsteps. Yeah, I liked that part. Well, my did not like section was very small in comparison. Well, what did you not like? You know, going back to Sam with his powers where he thinks he's doing good, but the downside is he's getting headaches and an angel is telling him to stop. I think it's a little too over the top <laughs> going that way. Like, now that he's started it, and this is my speculation, I guess, now that he's done with his powers, he's done with everything, is can he just turn it off? Is it like a switch? Or has he activated something that he's going to not be able to stop? That's a really good question. I, and maybe it does border on speculation, but yeah. <laughs> you've got Demon Girl telling you to do it, and Angel's telling you not to. And, and Dean made such a big fight in the end of last season to not mm-hmm. get him to ever start down there. And it, it makes you feel like, well, now that he has, there's got to be some kind of consequence for it. Yeah, you know, but then he's like, but I've saved more people in, a, you know, in these four months or whatever than we have in a year. I mean, he's really doing good. And the reason he's not using the knife is because he can save people and they don't die from, you know, wounds. And, right. you know, he in his mind, he's doing like the best thing he could do. It's his way of continuing without Dean. But now that Dean's back, I wonder how that's going to change. And, you know, at the same time, it just seems there's like something not right there. There's something that's missing. We just haven't learned yet. I agree. I think it goes along with the consequences of, or the effects on Dean and being in hell. We haven't really seen any of those yet either. So there's got to be consequences and and ramifications of that along with ramifications of Sam using his powers. That's true. It goes back to second season also with, you know, John telling him he's going to have to stop him and, and all of the stuff we've been told for years that the stuff is going on, but I don't know. It's just, it just seems a little too much. And I didn't like it. 
<laughs> you know, and, and back to back with that, we have emo Sam again. You know, we talked about this earlier. But Sam's, I'm a whole new level of freak. And he's like yelling this line. And it's like, uh-oh, emo Sam is back. I go to like cower. <laughs> Hopefully it's just Sam getting back in touch with his feelings and they're not all sad and depressing. <laughs> well, we can only hope. Maybe he's just trying to make a point to Dean and be all dramatic about it. He did seem a little Frankensteinish while he delivered that line, honestly. <laughs> you know, the brow ridge stuck out a little far. And... <laughs> his hands raised. Villagers bearing torches. What? It did seem a little bit like that. Yeah. So how about you? Oh, my big do not like, it's not really specific to the story, because I think it fit with the story, but the eating, uh, that was so grossing me out. When he was eating that meat, and the, the sound effects were just over the top, and it was completely making me want to throw up. At the dinner table? Oh, at the dinner table, and then when he had that raw meat out of the fridge, just... <laughs> the whole time I was watching him eat that raw meat, I was like, I swear I've seen... It wasn't meat. It obviously wasn't. But it, the, the granular look of it, I'm like, I've seen that from somewhere else. Oh. It's like a berry jello frozen <laughs> concoction something. It was like kind of a granular look to it. Evil jello. Yeah, it was like more of a dessert. I was like, yeah, it's not raw meat. And it's like all over his face. And it's like in little chunks. I'm like, good job there, Supernatural. <laughs> Oh, you, you completely made me nauseous. You'll never look at Jello the same. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Cranberry mold or whatever that is. Oh, and that wife was a bit annoying, actually. She was pregnant. That was her problem. Yeah, okay. Oh, right. Since you brought it up, we'll go ahead and go there. <laughs> okay, so the whole process is repeating themselves, so nothing they did made any difference except that Jack didn't get to kill a bunch more people. That's true. They saved a few, maybe. I mean, we don't know if they really saved anyone because he may have not ever eaten anyone. When we have a Supernatural episode where there's a monster of the week, there's an obvious saving of life, and it's like a big deal. Usually a hot girl. Usually, exactly. I mean, in this case, they don't even get a kiss from a hot girl. And, and their friend dies. I mean, it's just it seemed almost a little pointless what they That's did. That's what made it a tragedy. It was, but... Kind of bothered me a little bit. The only other thing that really I didn't like was the whole, speaking of Travis, was that when he first tells them the story about how fast the changes are going to come and how he's going to be killing all these people and be so hard to stop, but then they don't seem like they do anything after that. They're not moving very fast. <laughs> Sam goes out, does some research. The other two just kind of hang around in the hotel room like, um, is there no urgency here? Maybe it was Sam and his whole insistence to wait and wait for something to happen and be good. Maybe he was just playing up the story when he was first telling them. Like, oh, I knew it. He's going to change in a minute. Go kind of killing spree. But we'll just <laughs> hang out here. <laughs> Whatevs. That and the, Travis has had like 30 years experience hunting these things. Um, he probably would have known exactly how it worked. <laughs> True. He didn't seem to need the boys much. He kind of went off and did his own thing. I mean, he could use his other hand. He had only one broken arm. <laughs> Sam had a broken arm, too. A broken wrist. He dealt with it. And speaking of Travis, or what was left of Travis, how about that really fake-looking blood trail? Nice, evenly distributed, stupid-looking blood trail. <laughs> you just have to telegraph exactly what happened and where it went. 
<laughs> because there's no deductive reasoning. Like, you see a few drops or a few splatters of blood, but the perfect, I mean, blood would just not move like that. You'd run out of it. Like, you're not going to get, <laughs> you know, when somebody starts bleeding and they walk away, there's a lot of blood at where it happened, and then there's less as you go along. It just looked really, really stupid. It's funny. If any of you watches Heroes, you'll notice that there was almost an exact same blood trail this very week in that episode. And they have a bigger budget. <laughs> They've got more corn syrup to play with. Yeah, I, I just all I could do was stare at that stupid blood trail the whole time they were talking. I'd actually, when I watched this episode again, I had to like, close my eyes when it happened so that I could actually focus <laughs> on what they were saying. See, that's what happens when you're a horror affichiando. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there is a, a downside to that habit. You can't watch things that are mediocre horror. Because the yeah. rest of us are just like, oh, he got moved. <laughs> <laughs> and me, I'm like analyzing the blood trail. No, that's just not right. I don't Maybe CSI trained me. I don't know. What kind of speculation did you have? Well, we already talked about that just with the powers. You know, is he really done? I That was my big question, too. And, and I wanted to know if he is really done, how is Ruby going to react to that? Yeah, probably with the same monotone, no expression she has before. Okay. <laughs> That's answering literally. Yep. When are we going to find out what her real agenda is? Oh, I see. Um, I th- <laughs> perhaps when we run into Lilith again. Good point. I don't think she'll really spill the beans until something happens. When she doesn't get her way any longer, then she might start talking. Hope it's soon. Yeah, me too. She needs some facial expressions. Well, I'm wondering, is this, is this uh, episode kind of a hint that Sam's going to end up in a similar position where he has to choose between his nature and being one of the good guys? Well, you know, probably, actually. They've been pushing towards that now for, what, three seasons? <laughs> right. It's, <laughs> it's probably not just going to forget about it, even though he said, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, there's, uh, I just don't know who to believe anymore. It's like Kripke tells you stuff and then he takes it back or somehow changes it. Who can you trust? Well, I've always said trust Kripke. You have. I have. Are you going back on that? No. I just wish he would be a little bit more um, consistent, perhaps. (laughs) Consistency is good. So uh, why again did Dean's eyes bleed? (laughs) We're going to bring that one up since our merry questions are gone. Yeah, he promises a lot of stuff. So quotes, there were a million of them. I already mentioned, I don't know, like four or five of them probably. But oh, yeah. I love where Dean was saying, Sam loves research. He does. He keeps it in his under his mattress with his KY. I was like, uh, too much information. <laughs> exactly. And uh, Dean, why do you know this? <laughs> research. I, my favorite one was one that we already mentioned about when they bust in the door and Dean says, wait, we're here to save you, I guess. And Sam's all, we should go. That was one of my favorite moments ever. You know, <laughs> busting into her place, scaring her off and running away. And it was like the one moment of lightness in this whole tragic episode. It was. And that poor girl's like in t-shirt and underwear. <laughs> And these two giant hot boys break into your room and have the decency to shut the door when they leave. Right. Um, And of course, with the uh, Dean telling Jack, your appetite is reaching hungry, hungry hippo state. (laughs) Anytime you can reference hungry, hungry hippo in a TV show, that's cool. And he said it so seriously, too. And of course, the long pig. 
And Dean saying, that is my word of the day. That's actually my phrase. I use that all the time. That is my word of the day. I'm like, hey, he took that from me. Is it like peewee? You scream every time somebody says it? No, I don't. That's a little too creepy. <laughs> Long pig. Well, if it's something obscure like that, perhaps. But if it's like some random word, you're like, every time you hear elephant. <laughs> scream real loud. So, we done with that one? I think we might be. Let's move on to legends and references. Of course, we have the Rougarou, and thanks to Greg for researching this interesting monster of the week. The Rougarou, although it has alternative spellings and various versions, it's a legendary creature in Laurentian French communities linked to European notions of the werewolf. The stories of the creature known as a Rougarou are as diverse as the spelling of its name, though they are all connected to Francophone cultures through a common derived belief in the Lougarou. Lou is French for wolf, and Garou is from the Frankish Garulf, meaning wolf, as a man who transforms into an animal. In Louisiana folklore, Rougarou represents a variant pronunciation and spelling of the original French Lougarou. According to Barry Jean Ancelet, an academic expert on Cajun folklore and professor at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, the tale of the Rougarou is a common legend across French Louisiana. Both words are used interchangeably in southern Louisiana. Some people call the monster Rougarou, others refer to it as Lougarou. The Rougarou legend has been spread for many generations, either directly from French settlers to Louisiana, which was known as New France, or via the French-Canadian immigrants centuries ago. In the Cajun legends, the creature is said to prowl the swamps around Acadiana and greater New Orleans, and possibly the fields or forests of the region. The Rougarou most often is described as a creature with a human body and the head of a wolf or dog, similar to a werewolf legend. Often the storytelling has been used to inspire fear and obedience. One such example is stories that have been told by elders to persuade Cajun children to behave. According to another variation, the wolf-like beast will hunt down and kill Catholics who do not follow the rules of Lent. This coincides with the French Catholic Lougarou stories according to which the method for turning into a werewolf is to break Lent seven years in a row. A common blood-sucking legend says that the Rougarou is under the spell for 101 days. After that time, the curse is transferred from person to person when the Rougarou draws from another human's blood. During the day, the creature returns to human form. Although acting sickly, the human refrains from telling others of the situation for fear of being killed. Other stories range from the Rougarou as a headless horseman to the Rougarou being derived from witchcraft. In the latter claim, only a witch can make a Rougarou, either by turning into a wolf herself or by cursing others with lycanthropy, often known as werewolf. In Native American folklore, the creature has been associated with Native American legends, although there is some dispute. Such folklore versions of the Rougarou vary from being mild Bigfoot which is known as Sasquatch-like creatures, to cannibal-like Native American Wendigos. Some dispute the connection between Native American folktales and the Francophone Rougarou. As is the norm with legends transmitted by oral tradition, stories often contradict one another. The stories of the Wendigo vary by tribe and region, but the most common cause of the change is typically related to cannibalism. A modified example, not in the original Wendigo legends, is that of a motif of harmful sensation story. If a person sees a Rougarou, that person will be transformed into one. Thereafter, the unfortunate victim will be doomed to wander in the form of this monster. That Rougarou story bears some resemblance to a Native American version of the Wendigo legend, 
related in a short story by Algernon Blackwood. In Blackwood's fictional adaptation of the legend, seeing a Wendigo causes one to turn into a Wendigo. It is important to note that Rougarou is not a native Ojibwa word, nor is it derived from the languages of neighboring Native American peoples. However, it has a striking similarity to the French word for werewolf, Lugaru. It's possible the Turtle Mountain, Ojibwa, or Chippewa in North Dakota picked up the French name for hairy human-like being from the influence of French-Canadian trappers and missionaries with whom they had extensive dealings. Somehow that term also has been referenced to their neighbors' stories of Bigfoot. Author Peter Matheson argues that the Rougarou is a separate legend from that of the cannibal-like giant Wendigo. While the Wendigo is feared, he notes that the Rougarou is seen as sacred and in tune with Mother Earth, somewhat like Bigfoot legends are today. Though identified with Bigfoot, there is little evidence in the indigenous folklore that is meant to refer to the same or similar creature. And then there's a separate piece that Greg came across from Louisiana.edu. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's the myth of the Rougarou. Described as a shadow that haunts late-night walkers as ravenous beast, ghost, boogeyman, and jealous lover transformed, the Rougarou, also known as the Lugarou, is French Louisiana's version of the French werewolf myth. Lou is French for wolf, and guru translates to a man who is changed into an animal. When the French Acadians were deported from Canada by the British in 1755, those who sought refuge in Louisiana brought stories of the Rougarou with them. Rougarou stories vary among families and locations in South Louisiana. Some tell of a Rougarou who punishes misbehaving children and kills Catholics, who break Lent. In Swapping Stories, Folk Tales from Louisiana, Lulan Pitra recounts a story his father told him of a Lugaru who once prowled the bayous at night, culling fishermen's oysters and eating half of them. Other Rougarou tales feature a man who is consistently followed by a Rougarou and becomes so obsessed with the creature that when he finally kills it, usually by stabbing it with a wooden stick, he spends the rest of his life mourning its absence. There is also the common motif of the wanderer who encounters the Rougarou at night, draws its blood, and thus caught under the spell of the Rougarou for one year. In these versions, the Rougarou is often someone the victim is familiar with. The Rougarou interests us not only for its strange, shifting menace, but also for what it reveals about the importance of storytelling for human connection and entertainment. Expert in Cajun folklore and University of Louisiana professor Barry Anselet says of Rougarou lore, whether they believe there is seriously a character who roams the night or not is unimportant. They believe in the stories, and they believe in the ability to scare people through the stories. It becomes a way of connecting one generation to the next. Let's move on to music. The only song that they played in this episode was Philip's Theme by Hound Dog Taylor and the House Rockers. It plays in the bar when Jack's having a drink. Unfortunately, no classic rock. The song of the night tonight is Gods and Monsters by Lords of Altamont. Check out the website at lordsofaltamont.com. The song is brought to you tonight by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Enjoy!
And that's it for this week. The next all-new episode will air this Thursday on The CW. Thanks for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to The Supernatural Podcast. You can visit my website at supernaturalpodcast.blogspot.com or send me an email at supernaturalpodcast at gmail.com. Please note that the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and not of the producers of Supernatural or The CW. Audio clips played on this podcast are property of the CW and no infringement is intended. Some of the music heard here is from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. Music.